Welcome to Get Unstuck. Move forward with your life with Jason Hopkins. Over the next hour, you will be given valuable tips and tools you can use to overcome what keeps you stuck. Now, here is Jason. Welcome to Get Unstuck, Move Forward With Your Life. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins. Thank you for joining us today. Get Unstuck Radio is inspired by my own journey of navigating this thing called life. More than a decade ago, I faced my own dark night of the soul, a painful chapter that robbed me of my mind, my money, and my way. After a series of catastrophic setbacks upended a lifetime of work, I was left with two choices, to end it all or to begin again. Fortunately, with a mustard seed of faith, I chose to walk forward with a new commitment to serve others. Over the last decade, I have faithfully worked to evolve the narrative of how the world sees mental health. By recognizing that everyone struggles, sometimes we all need new insight and a different perspective to see life more clearly. Not only is this show the birthplace of my own efforts to overcome life's challenges, but a safe space to meet other champions who, even after setbacks, still bravely show up and serve others. Get Unstuck Radio highlights the phenomenal people who have joined me along the way. It is a place to share their stories, which hopefully will spark inspiration in your own life. Together, we celebrate our individual capacity to move forward and to get the lives we truly desire. Each week, a distinguished guest will share their own unique perspective about what it takes to move beyond stuck and achieve their truest potential. Regardless of where you are, I'm hopeful you will discover the inspiration and courage to make an impact in your own life. Let's get started. Today, my friend and colleague, Rebecca Case, is joining us. Rebecca is an author, speaker, and thought leader. She's a force of nature, a yoga instructor, trauma therapist, author, and professional speaker. Rebecca teaches with authenticity, humor, and compassion. She owns Case & Company Training, Consulting, and an EMDR training company. Rebecca is an inspirational thought leader and an internationally known trauma expert and an embodied healer who has inspired thousands across the globe. Her message is one of courageous growth, personal transformation, and how to stay humble and brave. She will teach us how to unlock the power of our nervous system as a necessary component to becoming our best selves. Rebecca has a skill for blending neuroscience and woo-woo into a cohesive message for growth, healing, and transformation. Rebecca, that is a mouthful, and I'm thrilled to have you here today for another episode of Get Unstuck Radio. (laughs) Hey, Jason. It's so good to be here with you. Likewise. So, you know, As I was imagining this show and, you know, having the relationship that you and I have formed over several years now, you know, I think of you, as your bio suggests, as kind of the trauma expert in helping people heal the things that they get stuck with um, in their lives and really was hopeful in our conversation today, we could unpack that nasty T word trauma that we all seem to have and that gets thrown around a lot, but often with a not a lot of not a lot of context for what it actually means or how we get it and then how do we heal it help us understand a little bit more i guess as a starting point about you and what 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 brought you to doing this work in the first place mm, yeah um not so, not a small question by the way not, it's not a small question no but i'll try and keep it brief as as much as possible So a couple of things. Um, My great grandfather was a psychiatrist and reportedly he was pen pals with Freud. Who knows if that's legit or not, but that's, that's the family story. So um, I grew up in his, 
in his house that he left to my mom when he passed away. And when he passed away, all of his stuff was still there. So there were all of these journals and books about psychiatry and mental health, really weird stuff. The way that, you know, <laughs> mental health used to be seen, like it's all about hysteria and syphilis and tick disorders and very weird stuff. So I just right. grew up kind of constantly sitting in front of this bookshelf in our library, just bamboozled by what is this? Um, so that really kind of started my interest. I don't think my great grandfather was a very good psychiatrist or a good healer. What I know about him is he was a really grumpy old white guy. So <laughs> hopefully I don't embody that, um, those vibes that, that he had. So I went on to uh, undergrad when I took my first psych class, you know, psych 101, something inside of me just lit up. I just felt like, oh my God, this makes sense to me. I get this. I'm so interested in this. And so I pursued my psych degree, went on to get my social work um, master's degree. Uh, and, you know, a big shift for me and my focus and specialization around trauma work was just my own trauma healing. Okay. I'm a sexual assault survivor. I've been in a domestic violence relationship. My father had some serious mental health issues at the end of his life and ended his life by suicide about four years ago. And so my own journey and getting stuck in my own trauma, which at the time I didn't even define as trauma back then. And so I love that you're asking just like, what is trauma? Because a lot of us have this perspective of what trauma is based on society, but, but it's actually much broader than, than what we think it to be. So in my own healing journey, I met a number of therapists and psychiatrists who just kind of wanted to put me in a box, who didn't, didn't offer me therapy and healing that I felt really resonated with what I needed. And so I had a number of experiences feeling shamed and feeling, you know, like something's wrong with me and what is wrong with me? It, you know, I don't seem to make any sense. And then along the way, I had a couple of therapists who really made a huge difference for me and had a significant impact on my healing journey. And those individuals really inspired me to think about, this is what I want to be. Healing is possible with the right people in the right way. It, you know, when it's not rigid, when it's not, you have to take this pill and, and this is the kind of therapy that you need. Right. And so that's, yeah, my, my journey as the trauma expert has really been very much informed by my personal journey of recovery and healing. I love that. And thank you for being, being vulnerable about your own story, which is why I was so excited to have you here because, you know, I too um, have come to this work through a deeply personal journey of you know, just being a mess and realizing that there has to be a better way. And, you know, what I have learned in doing this work, you know, more than a decade now committedly is to your point about the right people on the right path. You know, if you're open and willing to do the work, those people do reveal themselves. And I recall you being pretty pivotal for me, you know, when I was unpacking some trauma work, I remember calling you and saying, hey, I need to know who is a badass EMDR therapist? Like, I don't want to go somebody who's a beginner. And you gave me a couple of names and it ended up being transformational in me really kind of clearing the decks on some things that I had struggled with far too long. The thing that I want to be resonant for people listening is 
this journey is not linear and there is not one path to get to healing. You know, we're sharing our particular paths in this conversation, but I do think there are, um, if somebody is willing, there are steps people can take that can help them move from stuck to unstuck, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and I love what you just said about, you know, I, I just was such a mess. And I think that all of us resonate with that experience of like, what it's like to be so messy inside. And, and what's messy when you feel messy inside, it's really just your nervous system is completely dysregulated and activated. And so often our cognitive logical mind wants to say, well, something must be wrong with me. And right. we don't really live in a society or a culture that, incur- that that encourages us to be curious about, well, what happened that created this mess? Because nothing's really wrong with you. Right. Something's happened to you. Something's going on in your body. That messiness is your nervous system speaking to you, just like... When you get a cold and you notice like, oh, I have a runny nose and a cough. Like when we get a cold, you don't think something's wrong with me as a person because I have these symptoms. You think I'm sick. Right. My body's trying to fight something off. And I wish that we lived in a culture that had that same perspective when we when our mental health feels messy of like nothing's necessarily wrong with me. My body is responding to something and trying to fight something off. It's trying to recover from something. And what is that? And that's where we can get so, I think, gaslighted in a way in our, in our society, because historically we've had trauma completely like misunderstood. When we think of trauma, we tend to think of sexual assault. We tend to think of combat and maybe a car accident, but trauma isn't about the specific experience. It's about your response to an experience. Right. And I think that's really important when we talk about unpacking what trauma is and what it isn't. You know, people use that word a lot. And I'm not discounting anybody's experience of feeling traumatized by something. But I often think that it's become overused in us adding a label to, uh, you know, a bad day that, mm-hmm. that frankly, is kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so tell us simply from your perspective, and again, I I, I I see you as an expert in doing this work. Tell us from your perspective what trauma is and then what it isn't. Yeah, so trauma is any experience that your nervous system perceives to be an imminent threat to your physical or emotional wellness. Okay. Trauma, let's think about stress. So there's a spectrum of stress. And you know, from the the to-do list that won't quit and the kids that are yelling at you for something and rush hour traffic and that deadline you need to meet with your boss, like that is all stress. But those experiences may not necessarily be perceived as traumatic in your nervous system. Right. When we experience something to be traumatic, our nervous system really perceives like my life is in danger, emotionally or physically. Your nervous system doesn't perceive the difference between physical and emotional threat. It all feels the same. So whether somebody's punching you in the face or calling you some terrible words, you cognitively may recognize those as being different, but to your nervous system, they very well may both be experienced as traumatic. And so I think that when we look at trauma more along the lines of stress and how our biology responds to stress, 
we can see that there's a spectrum and trauma is really about toxic stress. So it's too much often for too long and can wreak havoc on our mind and body. Too much toxic stress leads to a lot of physical issues, a lot of mental health issues. It's just not good for us. Now your body was designed, is designed to respond to stress. Like we were not designed to live in like a constant Zen state. This is why we have stress responses. This is why we have fight, flight, freeze, and collapse responses. Like we're hardwired to respond to stress. But we were designed to have a stress response. Ideally, the stressor ends and your biology can return to kind of homeostasis to its baseline. Okay. It's when we remain in constant states of stress, when like we don't get to return to baseline, when there's no recovery that it really starts to wreak havoc on us. Now, when we think of trauma, there are acute traumas like a sexual assault and combat and things like that that I mentioned, which most people can see and say, that's traumatic. Those are really big traumas that can have a huge impact on us. But what we actually find is that what's more impactful and disastrous and harmful is lots of little traumas. Lots of little traumas. So little T traumas is sometimes what it's referred to in the, in the trauma community. So that would be experiences of being bullied or feeling unsafe at your workplace or um, emotional abuse. Well, I would argue those really aren't very small traumas. We tend to see them as not quite as acute as a sexual assault or combat trauma. My issue right? isn't as bad as somebody else's. Yes, yes. But those big traumas, tend to not impact us quite as much as if we have a bunch of little traumas that have added up. It's kind of like the effect of like a thousand paper cuts. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because in in my work as a coach and and working with many people over the years now, I, I often tell people the things that you think are going to be the hardest to unpack and deal with end up being the easiest it's the stuff that wakes you up in the middle of the night that you never saw coming that hits you like a train. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what you're talking about here. It's those little T traumas that kind of become compounded over time. And the erosion of how it affects us in our body shows up in some potentially mm-hmm. negative and catastrophic ways. Yes, because when our bodies respond to stress, there's a lot of things that change physiologically. Okay. So you get a dump of hormones that change your heart rate, that change your blood pressure, that change your breathing, that change, that depress your immune system, that depress your digestive system. And that's all meant to be a quick way to respond to something that's stressful. So, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, if you're running away from a saber toothed tiger, it's not the time to get the flu or to digest your turkey sandwich, right? Like I'll do that once I get to safety. I need all of my resources to go to like fight and flight here. So when our body is constantly hijacked by that stress response, think about the havoc that could wreak on your body if, if you can't digest regularly. If your immune system is constantly depressed, if your heart rate is constantly elevated, your body wasn't designed to withstand those kind of physiological changes for long periods of time. So when people say I had, you know, that was traumatic, 
whether or not we perceive it to be traumatic, you know, like you hear somebody say something like, well, that doesn't really feel like traumatic to me. That sounds like Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Wednesday. But think about what they're maybe trying to say is that was incredibly stressful for me. Well, and and that's I the wonder, only language they have. Well, and I wonder, you, you just landed on something that I was wanting to get to. Are we using stress and trauma interchangeably? And, and what you're sharing with us is they they are different. You know, stress may be a precursor to trauma, but it doesn't necessarily mean stress leads to trauma, right? Right. I think that we could say that all trauma is stress, but okay. not all stress is traumatic. Kind of wow. like all cacti are succulents, but not all succulents are cacti. Okay. It's about, is your body responding as if this were an imminent threat? So some of the common kind of experiences of something that's traumatic is feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, feeling powerless, and the experience of extreme fear or terror. That's really what sets something apart from being incredibly stressful to being traumatic. Right. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. You know, I am, am so fascinated by this concept of trauma because I think it's one of those things that try as we might, nobody escapes it. I mean, we all experience right. things in our lives um, that can be perceived as trauma or have a trauma effect in our body. I'm really interested in, you know, what steps do people take next? We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the practical ways that people start healing trauma to move forward into lives that feel more fulfilled and joyous for them. So give us two minutes and we'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to the show. If you have a question for Jason or his guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jason. So welcome back to Get Unstuck Radio. I am here today with my friend and colleague, Rebecca Case. Um, Rebecca is what I would consider a trauma guru here. I don't know if you would label yourself like that. Um, but really helping us unpack what trauma is and what trauma isn't. And before the break, we were talking about the effects of stress and how trauma can be, all trauma is stressful, but not all stress is traumatic. Um, let's talk a little more tactically around if somebody is feeling the effects of, you know, traumatic stress, let's say in our bodies, what are some things that they can start to do to become more aware of it prior to taking any steps to heal it. What are things we can do to, to more practically tune into? Is there more work to be done here to heal this? Mm. Well, I think first, if you find yourself asking, do I need some, do I need an intervention to help heal this? Do I need to go to therapy? Do I need, am I stuck? 
you probably are like reach out and get some support. I think that that's, that's a place, a place to start. You know, the difficult thing when, when we're responding to something traumatic is like we lose objective perspective and awareness. And so as I shared in my story, um, you know, I'm, I'm a sexual assault survivor. I was in a domestic violence relationship. I did not perceive those experiences to be traumatic for a very long time until I was way far on the other side of them because it wasn't this, they, they weren't maybe what our society would picture when we think of a sexual assault and what domestic violence looks like. They're much more subtle, but I was very aware of, I'm not okay. I'm not right inside. I am really struggling. So if you find yourself stuck in the muck, kind of constantly repeating patterns, unable to to rise above an experience, unable to move forward, that's a good indicator that your nervous system is saying, I am stuck in some experiences. I'm stuck in some stuff. And sometimes you might really know what that is. And sometimes you might not really be sure what's gotten you stuck again, because trauma can just be a little bit of a mind bleep, right? It, it's right. just, it's not always so evident and clear. So it's really about how is my nervous system responding? Am I reacting? Am I reliving experiences? Am I feeling like I'm stuck in the muck? Do I constantly feel hijacked inside, hijacked by panic attacks or, you know, really troublesome thoughts or just feeling like down in the dumps with your self-esteem or like I'm always depressed or I'm always exhausted or I'm always overwhelmed. Right. When you find there's an always, there's probably something stuck in your neurobiology. Like that always is my nose is always running. I always have a cough. I always have like this tweak in my back. Like if you had those physical symptoms, you'd probably say, I need to go to the doctor. Like I shouldn't still have these physical symptoms if I just had a cold. So think of it similarly, if you're feeling stuck with kind of mental health stuff and you can't get past it, it's probably time to reach out and get some support. I think that's really practical advice. And I, and I even think about in my own journey of healing trauma, you know, you mentioned for yourself, like you end up often healing these things that happen to us that are that are very damaging, very traumatic uh, events that happen in our lives. You often suppress those at some point and you move forward with your life. And what you're talking about here, it's the subsequent things that come as a result of that, you know, repeating patterns, being in continued, you know, uh, abusive relationships, you know, choosing friend groups that are not healthy or supportive, engaging in activities that you know, are bad for you, but you continue to do them anyways. I mean, all of that can be a result of things that we experienced at a different time in our lives. I mean, uh, I too am a, a sexual assault survivor. And I recall, you know, really having very suppressed memories of it until it came back to me very clearly and very committedly through the work that I was doing in therapy many, many years later. And, and I, have recalled having people ask me in my family circle about, well, why didn't you say something sooner? And I'm not sure our bodies are designed to go through something really terrible and immediately begin processing it. I mean, of course, there are situations where people do that beautifully, 
But the fact of the matter is, is I think most of us have bad things happen and we often move into the shame, the blame, the what could I have done? It's all my fault. And often that becomes these suppressed memories that we live with for potentially years and years and years, some people forever. And and it can ultimately have some pretty negative consequence in your life of things that are not healed. And that can show up in other ways. It can be physical manifestations or emotional manifestations. And I think we see that playing out, you know, in our world day in and day out. I think we are a society of walking wounded. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I think that the state of the world is very much a testament to uh, the negative consequences of stress and not dealing with stress. And when we don't focus on our health and wellness, when we put productivity and capitalism and money above and beyond our sanity and people and what we need to thrive, we end up in places like we are today, where there's just a lot of existential crises, a lot of stress upon stress upon stress. Well, and the interesting thing is, is there's no handbook or any teaching around how are you going to navigate the stress that inevitably is going to show up in all of our lives. You know, this, this, uh, this, you know, notion of living the American dream really, to me, has felt a little more like a nightmare because it's a lot of stress. And I think for many people, A, it's not even realistic or a desire, but we still end up on that hamster wheel of I have to look a certain way, do certain things. And, you know, we see that being so prevalent, especially in social media today. There is this there is this never ending um, goalpost that uh, of what it looks like to achieve at a level of success in today's world that, frankly, it's just too hard. Yeah. And I think especially thinking of your audience, uh, individuals who are probably very driven, very motivated, very successful, high achievers, you know, we can get addicted to that. Right. When you meet a goal, when you get that, you know, new account, when you get that new hot lead or whatever that is, you get a dump of endorphins, just as if like you just won the jackpot. Uh, so we can very much get addicted to it. And if we have these, these open wounds of not feeling worthy enough or not feeling good enough, or, you know, have some big traumas that we haven't healed, we can develop what, what we refer to in the counseling world as defensive accommodation strategies. So defensive accommodation strategies are, kind of maladaptive coping skills that we unconsciously, unintentionally develop to try to feel good. So like addiction is a defensive accommodation strategy. Nobody's like, I want to grow up to be an addict. It happens because it gets you something. It helps you feel good at some point, right? So you wouldn't have been so drawn to that addictive substance or behavior if there wasn't this like, this emptiness, this void, if it's about, I do this and I feel good, or I feel worthy, or I feel regulated, or I feel peaceful, then we develop those strategies because there's an absence of that, because we don't feel peaceful, because we don't feel good, because we, because we feel empty inside. And so your nervous system is just naturally going to try to adapt and find things to make it feel regulated 
and we can go to things that don't really produce a true state of being regulated. They just produce like a faux regulation. So for example, if you take a benzodiazepine because you feel really anxious or panicky, it creates a quick release. Whoo, it feels really be- a lot better if you're feeling a lot of panic, but your neurobiology didn't actually get regulated. There was a pill that regulated it. And when that pill wears off, it's just going to go back to where it was. Right. So addiction, self-harm, suicidal ideation, binge watching TV, um, you know, there's so many things that we can turn to again, unconsciously to try and accommodate for just feeling really messy inside. Well, and I, I mean, I think for anybody that's listening, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have felt that way about something at some point in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this again is not not something that any of us escape. And again, this is a this is a topic that most people don't want to talk about because it's sticky and it can be messy and how to navigate it. There's not a great roadmap for doing this, but if if somebody's listening and you know, this is resonant for them that maybe I have some unhealed trauma. Maybe I am always doing something that could be potentially harmful for me. What's what's an appropriate first step? Because I mean, again, we're, we, we've talked about the path to healing isn't linear, but how do people take a first step? Yeah, I think one of the first steps is just getting curious with yourself and as much as you can from a state of compassion, being curious about what is happening inside. We repeat what we don't repair. And so am I repeating something that hasn't been repaired? And, you know, it's, it's hard to say what's the first step, because I think that as you have, and I have talked about before, everybody's healing journey is very personal and unique. And certainly I recommend going to therapy but therapy is only one form of healing. So that might look like from two therapy junkies. (laughs) Yes. From two therapy junkies. So if therapy doesn't feel like an appropriate place for you to start or like, I, I can't do that, then I'd encourage you to get honest with yourself of where could I start? Could I start with a podcast? Could I start with a book? Could I start with massage? Could I start with acupuncture? Like what feels like, a door that you could walk through that isn't overly vulnerable. And you just start where you start. You start by connecting to other people and thought leaders to get out of your own head, because that's part of trauma. I have lost objective perspective. I can't see what's going on for me. I don't see necessarily what I'm stuck in. And so I have to challenge my, my perspective. I have to get out of my blinders. And so the way to do that is to connect with others, ideas and thought leaders and books and writers and healers. And so just find the door that feels like I could, you could walk through it. What about the person who says, you know, I, I, I'm going to talk to a friend or a loved one um, about what I'm going through. Um, not everybody is blessed with in, incredibly talented friends like you are that can give you some objective perspective in those times of need. I often find people tend to find their therapy in their people. And and I'm always a little curious because unless those people are qualified to serve you in what you're needing service of, the reality is, is most people can only meet you from their place of experience. So in different words, if they don't have similar experience in dealing with and healing what you're going through, they might not be the wisest counsel. 
Correct. We are social creatures. We are wired to connect and to form relationships. And in fact, none of us heal on our own. Even if you go out into the woods and you're alone for a month and like, oh, I was enlightened and I'm healed. Like you still heal through the forest. Hey, right. so, so we heal through interaction and through connection. And whether that's I'm connected to a therapist sitting in their office or I feel connected to this thought leader as I'm listening to this podcast or this radio show, it's still connection. And so, of course, we're drawn to talking to our loved ones and people that we feel safe with, that we can be vulnerable with as part of our healing. And there is something very healing in that. Right. When we feel seen, when we feel heard, I mean, it is the experiences of feeling seen and heard are just priceless and they're so therapeutic for us, but don't invest all of your, your kind of your needs for healing into like your sister. Cause that person is your sister. Maybe she's a therapist and maybe she has a lot of insight, but that's, that's not necessarily going to be the most objective person for you. So I, I think it's important to just stay curious. And if the place you can start is starting to talk about what's going on for you with a loved one or a friend, start there, but don't stop there necessarily. We tend to need a number of healers and, and kind of modalities for healing in our lives and not just like, here's one path and just take that. And at the end of the path, you'll be all good. Um, it's usually looks pretty dynamic for us of, of what our kind of healing treatment plan needs to be. Well, and often I find that, you know, people will seek out others who will validate their sickness, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody's journey because I do think there is healing in being able to share, to show up, but also I encourage anybody listening, um, if you seek out people who are only validating you staying stuck in the place you're stuck, that's probably not really healing, right? Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I mean, it's, again, it it's so good to feel validated and feel like somebody sees you and gets you, but is that validation moving you forward? Is it moving you through it? Or is it just making you feel like you have a right to feel the way you do? or act the way you act or be how you show up in the world. Yeah. And and I say this from a personal perspective. I mean, I re remember in what I, I lovingly refer to as my old life, pre-breakdown life, you know, I the hardest lesson for me in beginning again was recognizing that these 20-year friends that I had cultivated and thought were my ride or die friends were nowhere to be found when the wheels came off the wagon. And, you know, I was really, it was probably one of the hardest things to go through and and understand. And in the beginning, I'm going to absolutely say that I I placed blame on those people for not serving in a, a way that I thought they should have. But the fact of the matter is I set the relationships up that way. They allowed me to be exactly who I was, where I was, when I was at that point in my life. And it, they were never built to serve in the way that I needed them later. And that was really hard awareness to be able to understand and focus on and recognize that sometimes we choose things for ourselves that maybe do more harm than not. Mm -hmm. I, I thinking about the concept of mindset and how our mindset can sometimes block us 
from healing and being really curious about, am I making the best choices for me to meet my goals? And if I'm just looking to this group of friends to validate me and it just kind of keeps me stuck, then how is that paradigm actually blocking my success? You know, how do I need to maybe expand my perspective, expand my my friend group or expand the people that I let in to help me heal, to help me figure out my way through life, through maybe a challenging situation, through stress. It's, it's important for us to take time to reflect and to be honest with ourselves, to take a self inventory of, you know, what, where am I trying to get and are the behaviors and habits that I'm engaging in and the people in my life, are they helping me get closer to that? Or are they keeping me stuck or even sometimes pulling me back? And that's super hard. Because I was going to say, it's really an exercise in discernment and, yeah. and putting the mirror in front of your face and owning, I, I had a role in those friend groups that I yeah. created and maintained. And then when they weren't there, I had never set them up to serve in that way. Like that was not the relationships we had. And as much as I wanted to blame them, I ultimately to heal had to come back to this, this awareness point of I created that, you know, if I had wanted and needed something different, I probably would have chosen different friends sooner than I had. And I'm grateful for the experiences that brought me to this place to have that awareness. But to your point, it is hard. It is hard to sit in the middle of a house on fire and say, I have a role in every single thing that happens here. And what I choose to do from here forward is my responsibility. Yeah, it's really hard. That responsibility is like, we don't like it. And it means usually that we need to come to terms with some things, right? And say like, okay, maybe that wasn't the best choice. And and I want to be clear, like, we're not responsible for everything that happens to us, but oh, we are responsible for what we do with it. Or right? not. Yeah. Like, so maybe and many of us yeah. don't do anything. Yes. So maybe you didn't set the house on fire, but you didn't call the fire department. So there's, there's like, there's your role in that. And, and this is part of why healing is so hard and why for many of us, we think it's easier to avoid than to actually dive in and like heal our stuff and clean up our, our internal house to clean up our mess. Because usually healing has to come with some sobering kind of reflections and awareness and acceptance. And it may mean that you need to change some things. You need to change some of your friend groups. You need to change your diet. You need to change the way you're living. You need to change the way you're showing up, like whatever that is. And those changes can be really hard. They can come with a lot of grief and loss too, especially when it's, I need to say goodbye to some friends or even some family members. Like that is not easy. But I would argue that don't just look at, you know, the costs of healing, look at the costs of suffering and how much it costs to stay stuck, to stay messy. Mm -hmm. What, what are the consequences of that? And they're pretty profound. I can't remember the exact quote. I wish I had it in front of me, but it's something about like, and the day came where it was more painful to stay in the bud than to bloom. Right. And we all I get to that point. It right? Where it's more painful to not do the work than it is to do it. And that's usually the moment that we make a shift for ourselves. And that, that moment 
is unique to each of us. Well, and I, I don't need a quote because I'm going to quote your words here as we go to take a quick break. What are the consequences of staying stuck? Like that yeah. is, that's a light bulb moment. I think that if any of us can ask ourselves, that really has the the power to reveal something um, incredible. Um, let's take a quick break and we'll be back here shortly. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to the show. If you have a question for Jason or his guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show with Jason. Welcome back to Get Unstuck Radio. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and today I have my friend and colleague, Rebecca Case, with us. Um, We're unpacking trauma and stress and all of the things that have um, the potential to negatively affect our lives and and really um, living a a thriving life. Um, Before we left um, on break, we were talking about, you know, the consequences and how of not taking action and how they can keep us stuck. Um, Rebecca, talk to me a little bit more about the work that you do. I know that you are um, very focused in helping people heal this work and training the people that help heal this work. Tell us more about what you do specifically related to healing trauma. So I'm an EMDR therapist. EMDR is a uh, acronym that stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Super long name, but it is an evidence-based therapy that is effective for healing PTSD and trauma. Also shown to be effective for other things like depression and anxiety, performance anxiety, uh, grief and loss, chronic pain, and addictions. EMDR is a highly researched therapy. It involves you and your therapist identifying what some of those memories, what some of those experiences are that have gotten you stuck. And then using what we refer to as bilateral stimulation to help your nervous system kind of metabolize or digest the experience. EMDR, one of my mantras with EMDR is it focuses on the stuff that's stuck and causing you yuck. And so very applicable to our conversation here uh, because it really helps your nervous system to unburden itself from past traumas, from experiences that were highly stressful, or just things that were just kind of kind of stressful, not even right. necessarily traumatic. So I'm an EMDR therapist, and my business, Case & Co., is devoted to training other EMDR or other clinicians in EMDR therapy. And then we also offer a lot of advanced trainings and specialty courses for therapists. So we're really focused on mental health professionals. I'm also an author and just produced or just published my first book, Neuro and Polyvagal Informed EMDR, A Neuroinformed Approach to Healing. That's a very academic text that's really for psychotherapists uh, to, to learn how to really treat trauma. I am working on my second book, which is a self-help book that will be very much in line with everything we've been talking about today. And that will be coming out in 2024. I love that. No grass is growing under your feet, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
So tell me a little bit more about, you mentioned bilateral stimulation in EMDR. For people who don't know what it is, um, it sounds scarier than it is. It is actually not scary at all. I've done it many, many times with different practitioners over the years. Give us a little more context for what it is. Yeah. So EMDR was discovered by a psychologist in the late 80s, and she was walking through the park. Her name's Francine Shapiro. She was walking through the park one day thinking about something that was really upsetting to her. And as she was walking through the park, her eyes start going back and forth bilaterally. I don't know if she was looking looking around or looking at squirrels chasing each other through the trees or something. And all of a sudden she's like, I feel better. Is that because I was thinking about this thing when my eyes were moving like this? An incredibly observant woman. So she had all these therapist friends and she was like, Come Jason, think about something that bothers you and follow my fingers as I wave them in front of your face. And you're like, oh my gosh, I feel better. It sounds ridiculous. I know. When I first heard of EMDR, I thought, what is this woo-woo therapy, like a magic wand you wave in front of somebody's <laughs> face? So we've done a lot of research on EMDR. And what research shows is that bilateral stimulation is just part of the way your nervous system processes information. So okay. we're bilateral beings. Like, have you ever gone for a walk and you were thinking about something that really bothered you and just like taking those steps, which is bilateral at some point you're like, Oh, I feel better about that thing. Yeah. I think we all have, or any of you runners who I go for a run and I think about the thing that's bothering me and I feel better afterwards. Some of that might be the endorphins, but some of it is also you're getting bilateral stimulation with those you know, with those steps. So when we walk into a new space, we tend to scan spaces bilaterally from one side to the other. We're scanning our safety. Most cultures read from left to right bilaterally. And so we're just bilateral beings. So bilateral stimulation and EMDR, you and your therapist identified the memories that are stuck and causing yuck. And you think about those memories, you feel all the feelings that come up with those memories and you receive bilateral stimulation at the same time. And that might be eye movements or tapping back and forth or even tones that beat back and forth in the ears. And what bilateral stimulation does in EMDR is it helps your nervous system to process the experience. It, the experience will very quickly lose its emotional charge. It's sometimes we say it is, it taxes your nervous system so it breaks the memory. Okay. What that means is it's super hard to focus on that yucky memory while you're also trying to follow somebody's fingers waving in front of your face. So it's kind of distracting. And our neurobiology, what research shows is that when we're distracted, when we're also trying to think about something that has an emotional charge, that thing that is so emotionally charged, charge tends to break. It tends to lose its emotional intensity. So we see this in EMDR. There's also studies that have been done where somebody's thinking about something that was upsetting to them and they play Tetris. It's really <laughs> hard to think about something like that when you're playing Tetris or, you know, you're on like a timed game or something like that. Uh, and, and even just playing Tetris and thinking about something upsetting can cause that memory to lose its emotionality. So EMDR is evidence-based. And that means there's been a lot of research. There's only, there's over 40 studies that indicate EMDR's effectiveness, which wow. is a considerable amount of research in the field of psychotherapy. You know, I certainly have received considerable benefit from doing it on the, the occasions that I've done it. And it's interesting. I, I see a reluctance in working with people that want to do it because they think it's going to be 
scary or upend their lives or something bad is going to happen. Um, that was not my experience at all. In fact, it was pretty benign usually. Um, of course, you had to do some pre-work to get to what it is that you were trying to heal. For somebody who's embarking on this journey and knows they have some trauma that they want to heal, is EMDR an appropriate starting place or is it something that people usually do some form of therapy first that leads into them then doing EMDR? I think it's best to consult with an EMDR therapist and hear what their recommendations are. Some of the benefits of EMDR versus other forms of psychotherapy for trauma and healing toxic stress are that you don't have to describe your story in detail. It's not about re-experiencing or reliving the experience. And so that can create a lot of safety for people. Like your therapist needs to know a little bit about the experience, but you don't necessarily have to dive into to deep detail, which can feel safe for some individuals. But that doesn't mean that EMDR is like a magic bullet or that you don't have to feel anything to do EMDR. Right. You still got to feel it to heal it. Like that is just, just a truth. No matter what type of healing you're doing, you got to feel it to heal it. If you don't feel it, it will not heal. So EMDR, you do need to be able to feel feelings and tolerate distressing feelings. They're going to move really quickly when you get into processing those experiences with EMDR. But if you're really kind of avoidant to feeling feelings or you get dysregulated really easily, your therapist will probably recommend some preparation work before you dive into working on those memories to just help build a little bit more resiliency in your nervous system so that you can just cope a little right. better. So I'm thinking of two of my my favorite quotes that that I have I've relied on going through this therapeutic journey myself. Um, the the first is the first is the only way out is through. Mm-hmm. And the second is it's now and not forever. And I can say both of those have stood true in my own journey of healing. Um, you know, there is some discomfort in doing this work, and I think it takes real courage for people to show up and serve themselves in a way that helps them. And I understand how that can be scary and it can be, um, you know, daunting to even think about approaching, but the reality is the only way out is through. Um, So if somebody's listening and they're interested in, you know, maybe healing the things that have um, impacted their lives, again, I know we talked about some tactical places of not everybody starts with therapy. Let's say somebody has decided therapy is for them. What what's the best way for somebody to get connected to, to, you know, finding a therapist that is qualified and then hopefully they can click with to do some of this deeper work if they choose? My recommendation is that you go to psychologytoday.com, which is just a large listserv that you can put in your zip code, you can add your insurance, you can add specialties that you'd like to find in a therapist, or even I want to find a therapist who practices EMDR. I'd like to find a therapist who specializes in the LGBTQIA population. So you can get really specific about what therapist, what kind of therapist you're looking for. And that website is great because it will pull up a number of therapists that meet your criteria. It gives you a link to their website. It gives you a little bio. So you can kind of feel out who feels like a good fit for me. And I recommend that you stay patient and curious as you're looking for a therapist, because not all therapists are the same. We're all, 
you know, we all have similar training, but we're all very different and unique because of our kind of, you know, mod podge of healing techniques that we integrate and our personal views and our style and our specialties. And so if you go to a therapist and you don't like that first session, don't write off therapy as therapy is not for me. That therapist wasn't for you. Right. So try again. I, I really recommend that you reach out to a couple of therapists when you start, because a lot of therapists are pretty full and you might not always hear back from them because we get a lot of requests. And so send out a couple of requests, I would say three to five at least, and try and schedule at least two consultations with, a, with new therapists. So you can kind of try people on for size, just knowing that the first person you meet may not be your therapist, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to therapy. I love that. And to reiterate what you said is it is not a one size fits all solution. And just because your sister-in-law had a good experience with this therapist doesn't mean it's a good fit for you. And I also like your suggestion about if you have specific things or needs that you're looking for in a therapist, you know, be more discerning about filtering and sorting who would be a fit for you. And and also, if if you're unclear going into a session and saying, these are the things that I'm looking for, it is completely okay to ask a therapist about their credentials in serving you with that. And or if you have very specific needs, are they a fit for you? And, you know, I think that that those initial sessions are really about, you know, ensuring it's a fit for you as well as the therapist. And the more information you take in about what your 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 known needs are, the the more the more wisely you will serve yourself. Right. Yeah. I really have loved this conversation and I'm so grateful that you shared your expertise with us around, you know, this journey of healing and the messiness of life and how um, the the dauntingness of approaching healing can be. But, you know, with, with some fortitude and some thought, it is, it is a, a journey that we all can embark on and thrive from potentially. There are huge gifts on the other side of doing your work. And just never forget that. It can be so easy to lose sight of that or to just not even see, I don't even know what could be on the other side of this. But I promise you, when you embark on healing, when you start on your journey, you're showing up to your life as a warrior. And there will be huge lessons along the way that will serve you for the rest of your life that you would never have an opportunity to access if you didn't start the journey. I like the quote, and I probably won't get this right as well, but great ships were not built to stay in a safe harbor. Right. And so if you feel that you are destined for greatness, if you have big goals, if you like, I'm here to do some big stuff, don't stay in the harbor. Get out there, surf the seas, get some support in the process, learn some things, show up to your life because you deserve it. Beautifully said, my friend. On that note, tell our listeners how they can learn more about you and the work that you do, Rebecca. Yes. So I have two websites. If you're interested in learning more about EMDR, if you're interested in training, if you're interested in EMDR consultation, you can check me out at caseandco, caseandco.com. Okay. If you're interested in connecting with me for... Other things like speaking engagements, keynotes, 
books, things of that nature, you can find me at RebeccaCase.com. I love it. I love it. You you are a big, beautiful light. I am so grateful and honored that you came here to share with us today. Um, and if you'd like to, uh, please subscribe to the Get Unstuck Radio show pages. You can find us at Get Unstuck Radio on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Next week, we have another inspiring guest. I guarantee you will not want to miss the conversation. And as we wrap up here, Rebecca, tell us one thing you're grateful for today. Well, to connect with you and to get to share space and have this conversation. It's just so important and really warms my heart. I'm grateful for you, Jason. I love it. And I'm grateful for you. Thank you for sharing your time and holding space with us today. Until next time, remember, every journey begins with a next step and you too can be your own champion. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to today's show. We hope we've helped you identify how you can overcome the mental block that's been keeping you stuck. Until we talk again, we wish you a great week.